You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to that passage that was so beautifully read? We are going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, for a very short amount of time today, and we are going to to journey through other passages in Exodus and a little bit in Jeremiah, and then find our way back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. But as you are finding your way there, I need to make you aware of something really big that is happening here at Broadmoor on our campus in two weeks. Together Weekend is the weekend that we set aside every year for students 6th through 12th grade, Uh, and it is a group of students from Broadmoor who are going to gather with other students from across Madison and Ridgeland, and they're going to come together, and typically what will happen, each year a different church site will host all of those, all those young, young adults coming together to worship and to learn and to fellowship. Well, this is our church's year to host that event, and it is going to be absolutely incredible. Now, uh, in years past, we have had great sign-up, but for whatever reason, God's grace to us, we have had an incredibly powerful sign-up already. Uh, over 300 students have already signed up. The reason I bring that to your attention is twofold. If you have a student in your watch care that is between 6th through 12th grade and you don't know anything about Together Weekend, you need to know about Together Weekend. If they are not signed up, you need to get them signed up because there's only seven days left to sign up. Even though the event doesn't happen for two weeks, there's only seven days left to sign up because we put all of those guys in a, in a host home and that brings me to my next point, uh, to pull off an event like this, not just for the hundreds who will gather here from our church, but from the countless other hundreds from other churches around our area who are going to gather here, we need your help to do three things. Number one, four things. Number one, primarily, we need you to commit to pray. Would you pray for Together Weekend? That is February 2nd through the 4th. So go ahead and write that down in your notes. Go ahead and put that on your calendar. If you would remember to pray for Together Weekend, February 2nd through February 4th. That would, be, that would mean the, the world to me. That would mean the world to our church family. And I know uh, to all the families who have, have uh, youth who are going to go through that. Uh, other things that we need, and your practical help. Here's a few things that we need. We need host home helpers. Uh, that is, we need you to come alongside the host homes who have already committed to, to, to graciously offer their homes. And, and, and we, we tell them, your home isn't going back the way it started. But in God's name, it, it will be blessed, no doubt. Uh, and so you, you will be a helper to them. You will help uh, facilitate the food and the snacks and, and, and the, the transportation, all the things. It'll be absolutely great. Another one that we need is we need recreation helpers. Since we are hosting the event, We are going to have all of the activities here on our campus, so we need you to come and man the battle stations, okay? So be here, be a part of that. It would be absolutely great. Uh, Last thing we need from you is we need greeters, smiling faces who are going to greet students coming and going. Be the high-fivers. Be the one who points to the restrooms. Be the one who helps people find their way around our big campus if they've never stepped foot here. And so, Josh, how can I sign up to do those things? You can do that by going to broadmoor.org and then go to the Connect Center, okay? So if you go to our church website, the top right corner of the screen, uh, there's the Connect Center or there's the three lines, horizontal lines that are kind of stacked on each other. Click that and then uh, drop down menu will happen, then click Connect Center, click Next Gen, and then from there, Together Weekend, and you will find all the information that you need. With that, 
Would you join me this morning before we start our sermon, and let's just pray for Together Weekend? There's a lot of moving parts that have to happen for this thing to be what we believe it should be. So let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing and favor on it. Father, we do come to you, and we know, we know, we pray according to your will and word, God, that when Jesus be lifted high, you draw men and women to yourself. And so, Lord, we ask that this event would do just that. That everything that we take part in, whether it is the worship services where preaching and singing will happen, or if it's recreation, or if it's time in the host homes, or transportation to and from, or whatever it's going to be, Lord, I pray that your name would be lifted high above everything else, drowned out everything else, Father. That the name of Christ would be seen so precious, so glorious, that, Father, in your grace, you would draw students to yourself. Father, for those who are not yet in the kingdom, God, I pray that this weekend would be the weekend of their salvation. But Lord, I pray for those who are in the kingdom. God, I pray that your name be lifted high, Jesus. God, that it would edify them. It would build them up. It would encourage them for the journey that's before them. And so, Lord, I thank you for a place that we get to host all of these students from across Madison and Ridgeland. God, I pray it would be a blessing for them to be on our campus. Lord, I pray that you would put it on the hearts of men and women right now in this room, maybe even watching online right now, who want to be involved. Maybe they want to be a greeter. Maybe they want to be a host home helper. Maybe they want to be a part of recreation. Lord, I pray, God, that you would put it on their hearts to even go this afternoon and register online to be that. But Lord, I pray that you would put it on all of our hearts to remember this event in prayer. Father, to continue to seek your face, God, to, to ask your blessing, to ask your favor to ask for salvation, to ask for life change. Lord Jesus, we pray all of this according to your will. We pray this all according to the word. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your powerful name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Well, church family, as we are here week three of the Sermon on the Ten Commandments, we look to this. We look to this, and, and maybe the, the first week, just a quick recap, the, the no other gods, that was, that's, that's the first commandment, that's week one. Week two, uh, <clears throat> that's last week, no, no carved images or, or no bowing down to idols. And you would say, well, that, that's been some great information, but Josh, the third one seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? The, the third commandment is don't take the, the, the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? Well, yeah, there, there's a whole lot to this, so just kind of just stick with me for a moment as we do a quick recap, okay? These commandments, these ten words, as it were, in Hebrew, they are three things. They're going to be transformative, they're going to be measurable, and they're going to be protective, okay? Here's why they're transformative, right? So we remember that God gives this to his people as they have come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, the, the polytheistic Egypt. They, they've come out of slavery out of there, and they're heading towards the promised land. They think it's going to be a short route, should be, but they're three months into their journey, and they find themselves at the wilderness of Sinai. So, so Mount Sinai stands before them. God begins to speak and give them these ten words or these ten commandments. Little do they know, they have another 39-plus years in the wilderness to, to figure this stuff out. It is going to transform them. It is going to get Egypt out of them and get them ready to move into the land that has been promised for them. This is also going to be measurable for them. Uh, if you've looked at some of our designs for uh, this sermon series, you, you will notice that in the background of the Ten Commandments looks like a scale, and that's, that's purpose. Now, on purpose, we, we put that there because in these commands, they are 100% accurately measurable in this sense that, that God's commands are perfect. 
That when God sits there and he makes a covenant or a promise with his people, he said, Exodus 19, 5, he says this, and if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be my treasured possession among all people. So it's a conditional covenant, conditional statement, meaning that if you do what I tell you, then you are going to be more treasured than anybody else in the whole world to me. Well, the other condition is implied, but not written. If you don't, what? You won't. And that's weighty because in those moments that if, if we don't do everything that God tells us to do, so, so if this is God's standard and it's perfectly correct, it's, it's measured at zero, and then from here, God tells us that we need to live this way, then that side is weighted. And our life needs to fill this back up where it comes back to being perfectly straight again. But we find out shortly that our lives will never measure up to what God's standard is going to be. So it is, it is measurable. But then the, the last thing that it is, it's protective. Protective in the sense that even though, even though God's people will never once, not even in that very first moment, because we talked about last week how God gave them the command, and almost in the same breath they were unfaithful in their acknowledgement of the covenant, that it's protective. Because God has given them ten words or commands that as they are going to continue in the wilderness and then go towards the promised land generations later, it is going to be protective for them because they're coming out of a polytheistic culture, many gods, and they're going to go into a polytheistic culture, many gods. And God is going to get Egypt out of them, but also help them keep Canaan out as well. And that as they go in, they can keep their mind's attention, their heart's affection focused on the one that it should be. So with that understanding, I want you to see God's word today. The third commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If you're a note-taker today, maybe today will be a lot of fun for you because I've tried to make it more note-taking friendly. And so there are three questions that we're going to attempt to answer in our time today. The first question that we're going to attempt to answer is, what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? The second question we're going to attempt to answer today is, why is his name so important that it is to be protected at all costs? And the third question that we're going to attempt to answer today is, what punishment is in store for those who do take his name in vain. So those are the three questions. We'll see. I don't know. I can't promise that we'll get all the way through them or actually accurately answer all of them, but that is the goal today, okay? So we'll get to question number one immediately. What does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? Now, the thought may be, Josh, this one's pretty easy. Don't use God's name combined with your creative vocabulary. And hear, hear me out. Well, I I do believe that you should not combine his name with your creative vocabulary. I believe that's 100% accurate. This command means and has so much more to it. This is, this is really, honestly, truly nothing to do with that. Although, growing up, more than likely, you have heard it said that way. Or, or maybe somebody does get creative in their vocabulary and ties God's name or, or a name that is attributed to God to it, and you find yourself indignant. How dare they do that to my God? How dare they say that in my presence? You ever felt that? Hang on to that, hang on to that indignation and put it in a little box and save it. Because we're going to use that at the end. Truthfully, this command 
It's probably the command out of all ten that convicts me more than any of the others. Let's look at this command word for word, and I'll try to explain it, okay? So the first part of the command is, is do not take. That, that would be the ESV's translation here, okay? And, and the Hebrew word for take, it's, it's a verb, uh, and, it, and it means um, to, to lift up, okay? Uh, the, the verb here, it's a fun verb, uh, it's called nasa. Um, in Pearl River County, we would say NASA, okay? N-A-S-A, to lift up. You tying anything together yet? Nasa. Don't, don't lift up. So, so we have Nasa to, to lift high. The name of the Lord your God. Now, that, that's a unique phrase. If you were to go back to Genesis, you see how this ties together. This, this is Yahweh Elohim. This is, this is bringing both of those together. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. And then we have your God, which is Elohim. So, so Yahweh, Elohim, uh, Yahweh Elohim. The name, though, is more than just a verbal identifier. It is to be understood as God's character and God's reputation. So follow along. Don't lift up God's character and reputation in vain. Sava. And here, the Hebrew word, I'm completely butchered that word. In that, though, means empty, deceitful, or in a worthless way. Okay, so, so let, me, let me put it together, the translation, and let me show you why it means more than just tying God's name to creative vocabulary, okay? Here is the literal translation of this commandment, okay? Do not lift high the name of the Lord your God in a way that is empty, deceitful, or worthless. That's this command. So, so no other gods, no carved images, no idols, and don't lift up God's name in a way that is Empty, deceitful, or worthless. This is what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. That's heavy, right? So, so Israel would have understood and have been continually reminded that they are God's people. They were created in the image of God. That they are to be called a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That they are God's representatives to this waiting world. So wherever they were to go, they were to take God's name with them. They were to lift God's name high everywhere that they went. And as Christians, we are to understand just as much, if not more. We as Christians are trusted legitimately with one task. So in all of Jesus' teaching, there is one directive that he has given to Christians, and I would say that this is an all-encompassing command. So this wasn't just to the Christians on the day that he ascends back into glory. This is a command that stands until he comes back again. This is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go into the whole world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing in the what? what I know we say it fast sometimes. I'll say it again and slow it down. Go into the world and make disciples. Baptizing in the, the name. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we just witnessed a beautiful baptism. So when we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's not religious speak for, I better say, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the right way in the right order. It is, I am baptizing you in the character and the reputation of our Father in heaven. And so, in this command where it says, do not, do not lift high the name of the Lord your God in a flippant way. Do not lift high the name of the Lord your God in a way that is empty, that is deceitful or worthless. This, this, this command is incredibly weighty, was for them and should be for us as well. So if that's what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain, the second question we look at this morning is why is this name so important that it should be protected at all costs? Well, because the essence of a person is associated with their name, their, their character and reputation. To speak God's name is to recognize his holiness and his power. God's people were trusted with his name to be faithful ambassadors with his name. Everywhere they went, it was to be understood that they were representing God. Every place that the sole of their foot would go, we understand it as everywhere the sole of your foot would go, I will be with you, I will be for you, right? So that, that's in Joshua, the promises that stir our hearts to say, let's go, let's, let's take that hill, let's keep being faithful to God's call. But we need to understand that there's a responsibility to the command. That everywhere we go, every step we make, we are representing our Father's character. Everywhere we go, we carry his reputation to everybody we come in contact with. So going back, if they were to choose to live in a way, God's people, if Israel, as they were going into the different lands, if they were going into the different cities, if they were to live in a way that were empty and deceitful and worthless, it wasn't their character and reputation at stake. It was the character and reputation of God. The people wouldn't see them as empty and deceitful and worthless people. They would see God as empty, deceitful, and worthless. That's why God's name is to be protected at all costs. So we get to the third question today, and this is where we're going to spend a majority of our time this morning. What punishment is at stake for those who take his name in vain? And, and this isn't a, well, let me, let, me, let me measure out the punishment to see if I can take it. And the point isn't, this is, this is the punishment that's coming. The point is understanding why it is so imperative that we hold this command in such high regard. So we have a command, we have a punishment and warning, and then we have the reason why. Here, the command, we, we've talked about it. Don't lift God's name up in a way that is false potentially we do this, and Jesus spoke to this in the New Testament. Let your yes be yes, and your no's be no. You say, well, Josh, how's that really tied to taking the Lord's name in vain? Because if, if we were to, to dive into this, and if we had more time and more sermons to spend even just on this one commandment, we would spend time in those passages, but it, it is simply to be understood this way. Many times, God's people, through the course of history, it wasn't that they were carrying God's name high flippantly. They were actually masters at carrying God's name high deceitfully. In the sense that they would carry God's name in certain occasions, they would carry God's name high to get what they wanted. They would say, I belong to God, therefore I will get. I belong to God, therefore you should. I belong to God, therefore you should listen to me. 
We, we talk a lot of time about the, the Trump card, the, the Jesus card, where at the end of a conversation, if you say, yeah, well, Jesus this or the Bible that, it's as if you were throwing down a card that you can't come back from. Sadly, God's people have done that many, many times. That's why, why Jesus prohibits even in taking of oaths now in everyday life. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't use God's name to seal a deal. Let your name go on the line. And so from here, God's name is to be held with utmost favor and regard. So the, the punishment, or at least the warning, this is going to take us back to Exodus chapter 20 to the last half of verse 7. So look back at your text. It says, the Lord will not hold them guiltless who take his name in vain. Now that punishment may seem vague, that warning may seem vague. But I think it is in such a way that it encompasses the smallest of little tiny white lies and the most egregious of sin that God will say his name is not to be mocked at all. It's not just reserved for the worst of the worst, and it's not just for the least of the least, that God's name supersedes, should supersede any sinfulness that is in our life, that we should revere God's name above all other names, that his character and reputation, in our opinion, should be the greatest treasure that we get to behold and represent. So as we walk and as we go, our lives are on display, but it's not us they see, it's the goodness and the favor of our God in heaven. And so with that, there is a warning. God is not going to hold them guiltless who take his name in vain. This command church, as all of them are, is an incredibly big deal. Here's the reason why, because everything is riding on the name of God. How Israel is to know and respond to God will be because of his name. How the world is to know and respond to God will be because of his name. All right, we get it. God's name is a big deal to him and should be to us. So how do we carry it well? well I think we should begin by looking at how the Lord describes his name, his, his character and reputation. Now, if you were in our theology class that meets on Wednesdays the week before, two weeks ago, so the ice storm, and then right before that, okay? You, you get a sneak peek as to what this is this morning. So you're going to be in Exodus 20. Hold, hold your ribbon there or, or just click over to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, and if you don't have this underlined or highlighted in your Bible, I would suggest that this would be a passage that you would do that with, only because this is the place in Scripture where God describes himself. We want to know what God is like. We want to know what his character is like. We want to know what his reputation is. It is all encapsulated in this text here, okay? So in context of what has happened here, this is when God is going to give the second tablets, right? So Moses comes down. They, they build the altar last week. He gets mad at him. He throws it down. He breaks them. And so God commands him to go back up with, with two new tablets, and he's going to, to rewrite on those tablets what should be on there, okay? And so we have this, Exodus 34, verses 5 and following. The Lord descended in the cloud... And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful 
and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, there is many sermons just in this text, although we don't have the time. Let me give you the the cliff notes, the high-level view of this. This is the way the Lord describes his name. So when we get to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and it says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, this is the name that he speaks of. What is the name of the Lord? The name of the Lord is merciful. The name of the Lord is gracious. The name of the Lord is slow to anger. The name of the Lord is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The name of the Lord is keeping steadfast love for thousands. The name of the Lord is forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And the name of the Lord is one who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and of the children's children to the third and fourth generation. A lot of times we will see the first part of that text and think, I got it, the last part of that text, I need some clarification. So, so just, just quickly hang, hang with me. God, for those who repent and believe that he is indeed God, for those who are obedient to his will and his way, not, not out of earning, but out of loving, there's forgiveness for all sin, all iniquity, all shortcomings. But for those who are not repentant, God does not forgive that. And you may say, well, that doesn't sound like the God that I know, then you don't know God. Because this is the God that we are to know. This is his character on display. This is his reputation that is on the line. God does not delight in in destroying his creation. God wishes that no would perish, but all would come. But this is the truth. And it's going to become vitally important that you know this truth for what I'm going to tell you in just a few moments. Well, I don't want to leave you hanging because it sounds something like generational sin or generational, uh, like God's holding grudges for generations down the line. What does the last part of this text mean? So if you remember from our theology class and, and we come back to here and let me just give you the synopsis here. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children on the third and fourth generation. This isn't God holding generational sin over because you made a mistake, now your great-grandkids have to pay for it. But this is to remind you that your choices today potentially have consequences for generations. Or potentially what you're living in today is the consequences of choices that were made generations ago. And I don't want you to get hung up on that passage because I want you to take that passage and go a few sentences back and I want you to see that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that he forgives. But it's not just forgive. He keeps the steadfast love for thousands, that God is the covenant maker and he's the covenant keeper. 
So if you find yourself here today and you say, well, Josh, I, I don't know. Is, this, is, it, is, is what I'm experiencing today part of what, what has happened in my family line for generations ago? I'm not sure. I'm not, this sermon isn't for that. But what I am telling you is this, that God is the generation changer. That whatever it is that you are in today, you surrender that to him and he continues to change that about you in the generations to come. If I were to stand here today and if you gave me another hour, I would tell you about my family's lineage and how up until my grandfather repenting of his sin at 65 years old completely reshaped our family's trajectory. An abusive alcoholic to the day he put his faith in Jesus Christ and was radically saved. And you could see it. If you looked at what we do and how we live, you could see generations from that moment completely shift. Because God changes lives. That's that's the point that we we see in this text. Don't, don't Don't take that name in vain. Look what he's done. Look what he's done for you. Look what he can do for others. Don't, don't go out and hold it flippantly. This is how the Lord describes his own name. So it would be wise for us to understand this. It would be wise for us to understand his name and, and carry it accurately. So what happens, though, if we do carry it deceitfully in an empty and unfaithful way? What happens when people of God carry it wrongly? Either because they don't know or even worse because they do know but they think they have a better way. If you would, one more place I want you to turn is Jeremiah chapter 14. So you're going to go a little bit to the right in your Bibles. Jeremiah 14. Again, this is another loaded passage that we are not going to to be able to wring everything out that's in. So you may have more questions than you started before I start reading this passage, and that's okay. Enjoy life group time today. It'll be great. Jeremiah 14. What happens when we carry the name of the Lord wrongly? Jeremiah 14, verse 11 and following. The Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of his people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Josh, what did these people do for God to say that? Well, If you were to go back and read the first 13 chapters of Jeremiah, what you're going to find is that they turned away from God and they began to worship other gods. And if that weren't bad enough, then they started to create for themselves idols, carved images that made them feel better about the lives that they were living. And then if that weren't bad enough, it wasn't a cold break because somehow I think that might be a little bit better to say, God, I don't believe in you, I believe in this. But instead, they put the two together and they decided that they wanted their gods and their idols to carry some of the names that, that Yahweh has. So they intermingled it. And God wouldn't stand for it. So you have a prophet named Jeremiah he was known as, as the weeping prophet. Do you see why? Lamentations is Jeremiah chap, uh, part two. So, 
Why does this happen? Because in Jeremiah, the, the priests and the prophets, the ones who were supposed to carry God's name for all of God's people rightly, did so deceitfully. They did so for extra money. They did so to get things from the people. And God's people will suffer greatly because of it. Because God's chosen ones to carry his name rightly chose not to. All the people are going to suffer. Listen to what happens next. Jeremiah 14, verse 13 and following. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine. But I will give you assured peace in this place. And then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, a worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Did you hear what happened? God has promised that calamity is coming. The right response would be repentance. And instead of repenting, God's priest, God's prophets stand before the people and say, oh no, God would never do that. God is an all-loving God. God would never hold us accountable for our sin. Instead, you know what? God would never let anything bad happen to us. God says, I didn't send them to say that. Matter of fact, they are prophesying lies. They, they, are, giving, they are giving demonic divinations. Verse 15, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy will be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and the sword, with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, or their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. That's heavy, church. Why? Why is God so mad? Why is he so angry? Why is he always trying to kill everybody in the Old Testament? I want you to notice the very last line of what we just read. So verse, verse 16 of Jeremiah 14. For I will pour out... Who's evil? Their evil. They chose this. Hmm. That seems distant. Let's change it. We choose this. We, we choose a sinful life knowing that God has called us not to live that sinful life. And we wonder, God, why is this? I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that just because bad things happen is a punishment because of sinfulness and good things happen because of faithfulness. Because if that's true, then my life is backwards. I'm saying that God's grace is extended to us in ways that we will never on this side of eternity understand. Because if he were going to give us what we deserve, we're not even here today. We deserve death the moment that we rebel. But why is God so mad, angry, and always about to kill everybody in the Old Testament? Because of sin. Because the people chose a sinful life. And in doing so, they chose death. And God is giving them 
The the people that chose sinful lives that lead to death, God is giving them exactly what they're after. He is giving them the fulfillment of it. This wasn't bad enough. There are people who will, in God's name, leading God's people into believing that their way is good and right when it is actually leading them to death and destruction. This is the weight that I feel every day as your pastor. I beg God every Sunday morning before I walk out of my office and begin everything I do across this campus, God, please don't let me be like those prophets. Help me to live for you. Help me to speak truthfully, doing the right thing, saying the right thing, even if it makes some people angry. Or sad, or mad, or if some people leave, or if God, it doesn't boast well for me that we would always do the right thing, and we would always say what is true, and we would always proclaim the glory of God. As we move to our time of response. I do pray that you wouldn't pack up for this because I have a few questions I want you to consider. You may sit here thinking, Josh, I am, I've never, never once in my whole life been as glad as I am today that I am not a pastor. If I could encourage you with this, and I use encouragement strongly, you may not be the pastor at Broadmoor You may not be on the ministerial team at Broadmoor, but you are no less an ambassador with the name of God. You have been entrusted with his character and his reputation, and you carry it all day, every day with you, regardless if you intend to or not. So everywhere you go, at all times, you hold his name up, you nasa, his name, for all the world to see. When they see you and how you live and what you do and how you do what you do, they see his character and goodness and nearness, faithfulness and purity and holiness. So in the church, when we gather, this should, this should be a really clear expression of that. When we gather, we lift high the name of Jesus. We lift high the glory of God. We lift high the work of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, are we doing that rightly? So I don't think, if we, if we were trying to, to put that in a box of, of worship expression, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all thing. Hear me out. I don't think everyone should raise their hands or not raise their hands in worship. I don't think everyone should close their eyes or not close their eyes. I don't think everyone should sway back and forth or not sway back and forth. But whatever you do or don't do, it should be born out of an authentic heart held by the glory of God. Whatever you do in word and deed, let it be for the glory of God. It may be helpful to think about it this way. If God were physically here on this stage right now, what would your response be as we sang? How would, you, how would you physically worship? How would you listen when his word was being taught? 
How would you focus in this room? That may be too easy because it's church, right? I think we all get A's at best. Now let's take it outside to the weekly gathering. Here's where, remember that indignation you held in that box a while ago? And you were mad at those people for using his name in vain. How dare they? I hope I get my hands on them so I can pray on them. Here's where it's time to take it back out of the box to see how it fits. Are you ready? So let's start with tomorrow. If Christ were to physically walk with you tomorrow, what would your day look like tomorrow? What would you say? How would you interact with other people? How would you intentionally go to people you have not met yet? How would your mind work? Would it be different than it is today? Would it be different than it was last week? If Jesus is walking next to you, would you think differently? Would you, would you live differently? Would there be physical aspects about your life, things that you would begin to do or you would immediately stop doing because of his presence that is right next to you? So as we come to the end of our time in his word today, the question is always, what are we going to do with what we've heard? The command is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not lift high the name of the Lord your God in a way that is empty or deceitful or meaningless. It has very little to do with your creative vocabulary. And it has everything to do with how you live your life with every breath that you have left. So with that, I pray that you feel a weight, but also you feel a joy. Because let let, let me be clear. So we don't don't end in Exodus 20 verse 7. There is the beauty of Christ on the cross. And there's the beauty of the conquering king who walked out of the grave who's now at the right hand of the father. There's beauty of the one who told us to go and make disciples but to take heart because he will be with us until the very end of the age. There's beauty that in our failures he's going to be faithful. And so as we hold high this command to make sure that when we nassah, when we walk around and we hold high the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we live according to what we believe. Yes, I believe that your speech shouldn't be as salty as it is sometimes. But this command has very little to do with that. And it has everything to do with how we live our life for his glory. And so here is my question as we move into this response time. What are you going to do with what you've heard? Because although you may not see God physically manifest here on this stage, and you may not physically see Jesus manifest right next to you tomorrow, you can have no doubt, no doubt in your mind that they are there. That Jesus, our King, walks with us, goes before us. And that we are still called to carry his name high, to carry it faithfully and accurately. And when we fail, we repent, we're sorrowful, we surrender again at his feet, and we get back up and we keep going. So the question is, how will you continue to live your life? In a way that honors him or in a way that is empty, deceitful, or vain? I pray that you would join me in turning it all over to him. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we do thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the beauty of your word. Sometimes it is so heavy, God, but in the weight of this word, it is transformative. So Lord, I pray across this room, every soul, every soul in here, every soul watching right now online, God, that our hearts are stirred. That we are not fearful, God. We're not fearful in the sense that we are fearful of you destroying us. We know that that has been taken on the cross, but that does not give us the right to continue in sin. Paul writes to the churches. Should I keep on sinning because I am covered by the grace of Jesus? By all means, no. So help us, Father, now. We know that we have been tasked be your ambassador. We know that because of our profession of faith, when we say we put our hope and trust in you, Lord Jesus, that we are lifting high your character and reputation. So help us do that faithfully. If there are any other gods in our life that are vying for attention, convict us, Spirit. If there are any idols that we have made, Along the way, convict us, Spirit. And if we are living in a way that is worthless, convict us, Spirit. We are yours, and we want to be used for your glory. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond, church. 